Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. If you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20 is our text this morning. It is Labor Day weekend, and so we're going to look at a parable that deals with laborers. Sounds, seems only appropriate that we would do that as we're working our way through the parables of Jesus in a series we've entitled Illusions. And this morning we look at Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And so if you're able to stand, I'll ask you to go ahead and do that. For the honor of reading God's Word, recognizing that these words come to us with the very authority of God. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, this is God's Word to us this morning. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go in the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers Pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour, each of them received a denarius. Now when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day, in the scorching heat. And he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is God's Word. Let us pray. Lord, we ask you again this morning to uh, open our eyes to understand um, this text, Lord, that we would see it and how it relates to our life uh, and our heart. God, just amaze us once again at grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have a delivery for Clark W. Griezmann. I was supposed to deliver it yesterday, but it fell between the seats. I didn't see it. I'm sorry. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I can't believe it. What is it? A letter confirming your reservation at the Nut House? It's from my company. Your bonus. My bonus. Open it, Clarky. Open it. Yeah, I hope it's a fortune, you do, Eddie. Are you gonna ball all over it or are you gonna open it? Oh, I was I was gonna wait till tomorrow to tell you all this, but what the heck? With this bonus check, I'm putting in a swimming pool. 
That's it. That's the big one. Open it. I'm sorry if I've been a little short with everyone lately. It's, I've been waiting for this bonus. To make sure the pool goes in as soon as the ground thaws, I had to lay out the money in advance. And until this little miracle arrived, I didn't have enough in my account to cover the check I wrote. Careless yeah, Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough left over. I'm going to fly you all down here to help us dedicate it. <laughs> I can't swim, Clark. I know that, Eddie. Oh. Clark, what's wrong? Honey. <laughs> it's bigger than you expected? <laughs> in the Jelly of the Month Club. Oh, God. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is indeed. <laughs> now, you either live on another planet or you don't ever turn your TV on during Christmas. If you've not watched that famous scene from Christmas Vacation, it is, it's an absolute classic where Clark has been waiting for so long for that Christmas bonus to finally arrive. He's been anticipating it for quite some time, and then he, he finally gets it. He opens it up and realizes that it's the Jelly of the Month Club. And then my favorite part of that scene, probably yours as well, is Cousin Eddie who I think I'm related to in some strange way. Cousin Eddie there in the background says, Clark, that's the what? That's the gift that keeps on giving. Now, most of you have probably experienced a situation where you didn't get what you thought was coming to you. You didn't get what you thought you deserved. I mean, after all the effort you put into the relationship, all the hours you put into the project, all the taxes you had paid, all the years that you had served God, when the paychecks were handed out, when the rewards were given, you looked at it and you said, it doesn't seem fair. Every one of you at some point in your life has said, this isn't fair. And that's because we tend to evaluate life through the lens, through the grid, is what I give equal to what I receive. Every one of us thinks about life that way. And so often that's exactly what we think. We want what's fair. But listen to me, what if fairness was only an illusion? What if the last thing you really want is fairness? That's exactly the illusion that Jesus exposes here in Matthew chapter 20. And in order to understand this parable, we have to go back and always get the context. Just a little side note, I'm convinced the number one reason people struggle with parables is they fail to see the story in light of the surrounding context. 
This story comes out of a question that's asked by one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. In fact, look back at verse 27, at chapter 19. It says, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. And then here's the question. What then will we have? Now listen, this question from Peter comes off of the encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. Many of you remember that story. Here is a man who wasn't willing to sacrifice. He wasn't willing to give up his possessions to follow Jesus. So Jesus turns around and tells the disciples, this is why it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom, because they won't sacrifice what they have. Peter starts doing math in his head. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If he, the rich young ruler, doesn't get anything because he wasn't willing to sacrifice anything, and we have sacrificed everything, I can only imagine what we'll get. Peter's like that parent who likes to remind you how much they sacrificed for you. That athlete that keeps reminding the coach, you know I averaged 30 points last year. Peter has concluded that greater sacrifice in this life has to equal greater reward in the next. It just has to. That would be fair. Now, before we get down on Peter, we do the exact same thing. You know how many people I've had tell me, you know, you really ought to listen to my opinion because I've been going to the church longer. That doesn't happen here, but you know, in some places people say that. Or, you know, I give the most money. I had a deacon tell me one time, not at this church, a deacon that told me, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, I'm going to remove my tithe. I thought, well, tell me how you really feel. I mean, don't hold back. Tell me your true feelings. Or maybe it's in your family, like your blood, she married in. I've been here longer. Listen, every one of us feels like our sacrifice, our longevity should count for something. So Jesus tells a story. Verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning and hired laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. Now, this was a very, very common story uh, in the ancient Near East or a common situation. Uh, they didn't have unions. They didn't have long-term contracts then. They had what's called day laborers. Uh, these were men who would gather at the market in the morning, and the landowners would come by, and they would hire them. They would agree on a wage. In this case, it's a denarius, uh, which was a very, very gracious day's wage. A Roman soldier would have been paid this. And so it was, it was very gracious for a, a, um, a day laborer. And they would agree on a wage. They would go do the work. They had to be paid at the end of the day according to the Mosaic law. And then at the end of the day, they were unemployed again. And they did it again the next day, and they did it again the next day, and they did it again the next day. Now, this landowner in the story goes out several times throughout the day. Starts at, in fact, a work day then was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So he went out at 6, at 9, at 12, at 3, and at 5. And he hires several different groups. Now, for the latter groups, he says, I'm going to pay you whatever's right. 
And so they trust the generosity and the integrity of the landowner, and they agree, and they go out into the field and work. And then notice what happens when evening comes, verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last, that is the last group, up until the first. And when those hired on the 11th hour, that is five in the afternoon, each of them received a denarius. Now, wait a minute. That's pretty awesome. The landowner gave the 5 p.m. crew that got off at 6 p.m. a whole day's salary. Why? Because it's what they needed to survive. I mean, if they only get paid for the equivalent of an hour, they can't make ends meet that way. I mean, it'd be like you coming in this morning and saying, I need help. And I say, hey, there you go. There's a penny. You'd say, that doesn't, that doesn't help me. Like, what can I do with that? The landowner is so gracious, he cares so much more about people than he does profit. He says, I know what you need. What you need is a full day salary to make ends meet, so here you go. That's a pretty awesome landowner, isn't it? But word gets out, as it always does, and guess who hears about that? The very first group that was hired, the 6 a.m. in the morning crew. And they start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If the group that only worked an hour got a denarius, I can only imagine what we're going to get. Bahamas, here we come. Bigger bass boat, you know, I mean, bigger home, we're moving into a different neighborhood. I, I mean, they are Clark Griswold spending their Christmas bonus before they've ever received it. And what happens? Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, this last worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. I mean, they're furious. Man, listen, we worked longer, we worked harder, and you've made them equal to us. That's not fair. Now, before you say, well, those ungrateful little laborers, you would say the exact same thing. And so would I. You've been at the company 25 years. They hire some guy right out of college, and they give him the same salary, same benefit package, and same vacation time that it's taken you years to build up on day one. How do you feel? You're the four-year senior. You've started every game, and all of a sudden, a freshman comes on the team, and he gets the exact same playing time that you get. How do you feel? You've been a Christian almost all your life, and you hear about some heathen on their deathbed that cries out to Jesus. And even though you won't say it out loud, you think deep down inside, that ain't right. I worked longer and harder in the heat of the day, and you give them that worked an hour the same thing that you gave us, it's not fair. That's exactly how we would feel. 
And notice what the landowner says. Verse 13, he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. In other words, the landowner says, listen here, buddy. I gave you every penny I promised you. Everything I said I would do for you, I did it. I was faithful to that. If I was unfair to anybody, I wasn't unfair to you. I was unfair to that last group. Because grace is never fair. And that's the story that Jesus tells. Let he who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray. No, that would be a terrible ending. That'd be awful. I mean, could you imagine if we, okay, let's just go home. Like the American blood inside your body ought to be boiling at this point because if you're in this story, you're thinking, that's not how this is supposed to be. That's not just. That's not fair. And you're saying the kingdom of heaven is like this? You got some explaining to do. Because this is not what we think reality ought to be. Now, what does it mean? What does the story mean? There's been a lot of different interpretations of this parable. Some say, well, see, it's proof you don't have to pay people fairly. And that's not the point of the parable. Others say, well, everybody has equal access to heaven. Some people come early in life. Some people come late in life. And that's true, but that's not the point of the parable. Some say, well, there'll be, everybody will get the same rewards in heaven. But that's not the point of the parable. Listen, the, the point is always what's in the heart. What's in the heart? Remember the question that Peter asked. What was it? Verse 27 again. See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What is Peter's motivation? At that moment, is Peter motivated by serving Jesus out of gratitude or benefits? That's the issue. It is just like my son who likes to negotiate with me about the chores around his house. There's a picture of that punk right there. (laughs) And that's about his response if he knew I was telling this story on him. I'll say, I need you to help me, Caleb. And he'll say, I'll help you for $20. (laughs) Hey, 20 bucks? You're eight. What do you need 20 bucks for? You see, in our home, there's two types of jobs. There are basic jobs. These are jobs that if you want to eat, you don't want to go to school naked or live outside in a tent, you're going to do these jobs. Clean your room, help with laundry, change the oil, basic jobs, you know. (laughs) But these are jobs that, like, we brought you into the world. You need to be grateful to be a part of this family and all that you receive, so you're going to help out. But then there are extra jobs like helping me wash the van or helping me in the yard. And these are things that I will give my money or give my son money because I want him to learn you work, you earn an income, and then you have to save, spend, and give. Live wisely. Now, that's how it operates in our home. This little (laughs) entrepreneur, to be nice has developed this attitude where he hates the basic jobs 
and loves the extra jobs. Why? Because they pay. The issue in the heart of the workers is they have forgotten the privilege that it is to work in the vineyard. The issue in Peter's heart is he has forgotten that it is by gratitude that you serve Jesus. Not expecting what you're going to get. It is possible to sacrifice much for God with the wrong heart and gain nothing. You following me? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.3, if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the motivation for what you do matters. You better believe it does. Therefore, the question for us is, are we serving Jesus out of gratitude for His grace, or are we serving simply to position ourselves for more of His gifts? You can spend all your labor day chewing on that one. Because that's the issue in Peter's heart. Is this about gratitude of grace, or is this about gift and blessing and reward? What Jesus is saying is in the kingdom of God, you serve God out of gratitude to God because you're in the family of God. Amen? Now, what does this mean for us? How does it apply to our life? Um, let me ask it this way. How do we make sure this doesn't happen to us? How do we keep from having the wrong motive, the wrong heart, and entitlement mentality in serving God? How do we have that? The answer, and if you know me well enough by now, you're not going to be shocked at the answer. The answer is the gospel, particularly the gospel of grace. Look at verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? That is the free grace of God. Notice the next question. Or do you begrudge my generosity? That's the question. In other words, here's what Jesus is doing in the parable. You listening? He's teaching Peter once again of the unobligated gift of the landowner, namely God. Which means this, if you and I do not live daily, weekly, monthly in the gospel of grace, I don't mean sing songs about it, I don't mean hear sermons about it, I mean daily at the kitchen table on the way to work when you're sitting at the desk, if we don't live in the gospel of grace, things will begin to emerge in our heart like a consuming heart. Here's what I mean. The issue with the workers was this. We didn't get enough. We didn't get enough. They, the text says, expected more. So when the paychecks were handed out, they thought, well, this isn't big enough. What are you talking about? That's a full day's pay. You were paid well, and you were paid gracious. But because you forgot the grace of the landowner to hire you, you expected more. Follow me on this. Peter goes from a stinking fisherman, literally, to a disciple of Jesus Christ. And now, 
He wants to count the jewels on his heavenly crown. Why? He forgot grace. The workers went from, we don't even deserve to be hired at the beginning of the day, to questioning the generosity of the one who hired them. They went from poor to prideful, all because they forgot grace. You see, dear friends, grace reminds us that in the kingdom of God, we are not bargainers with rights demanded. We are beggars with lives surrendered. God does not owe you anything. But He will graciously give you all things. Amen? Brian, you hear me. The moment you expect grace is the moment you don't understand grace. You hear me? The moment you expect grace is the moment you don't understand grace. They forgot grace of the landowner, and they started taking on a consuming heart. But also, they took on a competitive heart. That is, everything was fine until what? They heard what somebody else made. They saw somebody else's paycheck. They were fine with the denarius at the beginning of the day, but when they heard what the last group got, all of a sudden it wasn't fair. Once they took their eyes off the grace of the landowner in their life, and put it on the grace of the landowner in somebody else's life, they started to grumble and complain. It reminded me of 1 Samuel 18. You'll see it on the screen here. 1 Samuel 18, uh, Saul and David are coming back from the victory of the Philistines. And notice what happens. When they're coming home, David returned from striking down the Philistine. You remember David and Goliath? So they're coming home from victory. And the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Now, now listen to their song. Saul has struck down his thousands. And I imagine at this point, Saul's like, you better believe I did. I'm a big deal. Keep on singing, ladies. I love that song. But he didn't hear the whole verse. The next phrase is, and David, his ten thousands. I imagine Saul wanted to turn the radio off at that moment. Because notice what the text says. Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Why can't I sing like that? Why can't I preach like that? Why can't I make what he makes? Why can't I have a marriage like she has? When you put your eyes on the grace of God in someone else's life, you will miss his grace in yours. And you will grumble, and you will complain, and you will miss the point. Forgetting grace not only creates a competitive heart, but lastly, forgetting grace also creates a complaining heart. Now, this has no application in a Baptist church, just hypothetically. You know, there are churches out there who would struggle with this, but verse 11 
on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. A Christian who complains is an assault on the grace of God. And here's why. I want you to hear this. Because grumbling and complaining in God's vineyard means you've gone from the worker who didn't even have to be hired to thinking that you could do a better job running the field. If I were in charge of this, I'd have a better benefits package. If I were running this vineyard, I'd pay the workers better. Do you see what happened? What is it you think God owes you? Of all the time you've put in service, of all the years you've come to church, of of all the, the hours you spent raising your kids the right way, what is it that you think God owes you? You should be married by now. You should have children by now. You should be able to retire on your terms. You shouldn't be a widow at your age. If you don't stop today and count your blessings one by one, you will end up just like that first group, bitter and angry because God's not fair. The moment you forget grace, that starts. But grace not only helps protect us from those things, it also reminds us of a few things as we close. It reminds us of the gentleness of God. I love in verse 13, and he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Now I read that and I say, That's, we need to take your eraser out, erase that, write in, and Donald Trump was hired in, and he said, you're fired. Because that's exactly what should happen in my book. Like, or at least say, okay, that's fine. If that's what you want to say, no problem. But guess who won't be hired tomorrow morning when I come to the market? But look at me, friends. Aren't you glad that that's not how God approaches us? You're here. You feel like you've been unfairly treated. Life has been difficult for you. You can come to him. He will receive you. And not only grace, not only reminds us of the gentleness of God, it reminds us of the godness of God, which is not a word, but I'm making it up because I think it should be one. When the text says, can I not do what I want? Or as Paul would say, the potter has the right to do with the clay whatever he chooses. And this is the thought that came to me as I studied this and was meditating on this passage. And here it is. See if you relate to this. My life is not the field. My life is in his field. Which means he can do with it whatever he wants. Because at the end of the day, Peter, this isn't about you or your heavenly crown or the paycheck you receive. This vineyard is about a mission. This vineyard is about a kingdom. This vineyard is about joyful service to God. Peter, get over yourself and remember who God is in this relationship. 
Grace also reminds us of the grand design of God. In verse 16, where it says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. I wish we had more time on this, but we don't. Uh, Remember here, Jesus is preparing Peter and the disciples for something. Uh, They are Jewish. Uh, Peter's Jewish. And so he knows that Israel came in at the very beginning of the day. They were the 6 a.m. group all the way back in the book of Genesis. But Jesus is preparing them for the book of Acts. When they're going to see people come into, at the last hour, the family of God, receive the promises of God and the benefits of God, and they're going to be pork-eating Gentiles. Delicious. And they're going to be redneck pastors from Tennessee. Yes, even they get in. And they're going to be convicts. And, and it's going to be people that those from all the way back in Genesis are going to say, wait, 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 how come they get to come to the table? which is you, by the way. Jesus knows that Peter's going to struggle with this, and so he's teaching Peter, listen, there's a reason why the landowner went out at 6, at 9, at 12, at 3, at 5. Why? I've got a strategy here. I have a redemptive plan that I'm doing. And you say, what does that mean for me? You look right here. It means that God has a plan for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't ever have to question whether or not God has a strategy for your life, even when it seems unfair. Lastly, the grace of God reminds us of the generosity of God. Verse 15 again, and we'll close. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? Think with me for just a moment with this. I was really struck when I thought about this text, about that last group. The landowner comes to that last group and says, why are you standing here idle? It's five in the afternoon. And their response wasn't, we're lazy and don't want to work. It wasn't, you know, it's so hot today, we just figured we'd chill. Their response is, no one would hire me. No one would hire me. And you can bank on it. If they're still standing there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, nobody wants to hire them. There was a reason they weren't picked first. And Jesus says, go to my vineyard and work. In the kingdom of heaven, no one is deserving, but all are welcome. Pastor, you don't understand, out in my car right now is crack cocaine. The grace of God's big enough for you. You don't understand, last night I was with a prostitute. The grace of God is big enough for you. You don't understand, last night I was the prostitute. The grace of God is big enough for you. I've spent the last 25 years of my life playing a religious game, and the grace of God is big enough for you. What makes the good news of Jesus good news is that He hires workers in His vineyard who shouldn't be there. 
Ask me how I know. Because I have no reason to stand on this stage but by the grace of God. The last time I checked, I'm in that last group. And so are you. And this morning, if you're willing to work, namely repent of your sins and surrender your life to a Savior whose name is Jesus, let me be the first one to welcome you into the vineyard. You can come. What is it you think you deserve? When your life is over, what paycheck do you think is coming to you? I'll tell you what the Bible says. It says that the wages of sin is death. The paycheck you deserve is hell and separation from God. But that's exactly the paycheck Jesus died to pay for you so that you would know this. The free gift, are you hearing me? Of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's because grace is the gift that keeps on giving. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some of you this morning, you have never responded to the gracious call of God. You do not know Christ as your personal Savior. Would you respond this morning by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Others of you, you have been working in the vineyard, but you've lost your joy. You've totally lost your joy. You got a big smile, but sad eyes, and nobody wants what you got. Remember this morning the grace of God in your life. Father, I pray that you would take the gospel of grace that we've seen now in your word and plant it deep in our heart. Rescue us from bitterness. Rescue us from complaining and grumbling. Rescue us from death. And give us life. In Jesus' name, amen.